All right, we are live feeding, ladies and gentlemen. So, welcome to Parkway Baptist Church. Y'all wave at Logan back there in the corner. Wave at him back there and say, welcome, Logan. He's not coming up here. He's not going to come up here, Debbie. I begged him. I think he sits way back there so he can sneak out when he wants to. The only reason why he's here is because he knows he won't get inheritance if he leaves the church. Right, son? That's right. That's right. All right. Well, tonight, live feed, if you're tuning in, we are doing a series that just has just taken on a life of its own, Hello. which is great. Hello, it's been wonderful. It's wonderful. It, I mean, iron sharpens iron, so... All these hard questions we've been doing have been great. We've, we've been looking at the age of accountability for the last, uh, this se session two, I believe. Session two, yep. Probably going to be a session three uh, next Wednesday. We probably won't get finished tonight, but that's fine. Um, so welcome. We're here. Colton's here. Well, we've got some. I'm here. Uh-oh. Orange. Orange. Nathan. 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 Check, 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 he says, nope, you can't have it. Thank check, you. Check. Hello, Thank you. Thank hello. You. There oh, there it is. Better. Sweet. Okay, so I was just going to simply say that uh, so we've added some new slides in here. We have. Because there was a whole lot of really good conversation, and so yeah. we wanted to connect with those yeah, things. Yeah, let's go ahead so. and, and call them out. David Campbell started up. Stephen Barnett started up. Who oh, else, yeah. Jack Cantrell, he Jack got it Campbell going. Yeah, yeah. Who else started up? Primarily three guys, right? So oh, ladies, yeah. ladies y'all are absolved. No women started up real bad. And, and we'll just tell you, those are the best sessions. I, I love, oh, oh, I love I just Man, interaction. No, and no. I, mean, I mean, badness of all people should be able to be stirred up and be okay. You know what I mean? Right? Amen? Right? Amen. I mean, we got to be strong. And if you're going to be strong, you got to be able, you got to be tough and be able to deal with being stirred up and not take your toys and go home. Amen? That was weak. I'm just going to stop and move on. I like toys so, instead of your ball. That's that's a that's a new one. I like that's that. It. Um, we want to address it. something out of the shoot tonight, and that is uh, David Campbell had pointed out a couple of places where the Bible uses 20 years old, okay, for an age of accountability. And Colton and I got to talking about that today. So we've got a couple of ideas, a couple of things we want to throw at you before we jump back into the presentation. If you have your Bible, open to Numbers 14. Numero 14. Si, señor. Todos, si. Numero, si. Numero, que su nombre, 14. That's Spanish. Did y'all recognize that? Habla Espanol? Habla Espanol, no? Okay. Come on. Poquito. Poquito? Mm -hmm. All right, Numbers 14. David Campbell kept pushing this and kept pushing this. So we felt the push. So now we're going to push back. All right, first. <laughs> Where'd he go? He, can, he, he left, man. Yeah. Oh, David. Oh, there he is. He's hiding. Right. So in Numbers 14, what you have here is you have the people rebelling on going into the promised land. Remember, everybody remember the whole book of Hebrews uses Israel as an example of how not to be. Right. Don't, don't be faithless and, and don't be scared. Step out of faith and do what God's called you to do. All right. Well, then God promises judgment on this generation that stirred up all the issues. So if you go to Numbers 14 and look at verse, we'll start at verse 26 and go down. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of, of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this, in this wilderness, and all and of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. So what is that saying? That everyone below 20 years old, what? Lives. The ones above 20 years old, what? Die. So David's point in using that, David Campbell's point said it was that, that it seemed like the age of accountability or the age of responsibility or whatever in this particular case was cut off at what age? 20, exactly. Okay, so that made us talk about that. Well, kind of interesting. We made the jump from the theocracy of Israel because this is, y'all do understand the difference in the two, right? In the New Testament and the Old Testament. The Old Testament, Israel is what is considered a theocracy. Say that. Theocracy. Their laws, all of their laws, do not necessarily apply to the church. Many of these promises are fulfilled in the coming of Christ and the church, but, I mean, there's many things in there that no longer apply to us, okay? And that, that's the way it's supposed to be because Jesus fulfilled them, all right? But when we get to this, the 20-year-old mark, Colton and I got to talk, he's like, you know, it's really interesting because what is the, uh, and this is just, it's just what we talked about. It's not that we drink or anything, but what is the legal drinking age? How close is that to 20. I mean, pretty close. Uh, what age do you, do you do, can you go into the military service? 18, which is pretty close to what? 20. So, so it's kind of interesting where we saw maybe the Judeo-Christian ethic carried over into what law? The civil law, right? All right, so then we started thinking about criminality. In civil law, where, just generally speaking, when, when are children that commit crimes responsible as adults for those crimes? In general. 18, that is exactly right. Well, we looked this up, and I'm going to put this on the, uh, on the thing up there for you, the mirror, if I can get it to work oh, here. I've got mine mirrored. Okay, well, oh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll just boot you off. How about that? Cool. I didn't know you could do that. All right, if you look at the, inter, at the Interstate Commission of Juveniles... What you'll see here is what they call an age matrix. And they've got this broken out by state, okay? So when you look at this middle column here is the one we're looking at. Age juvenile case can be transferred to adult court. Okay, so that means, that means if the crime is severe enough that a young teenager does, that the judge can render it to where that child will be tried as a what? As an adult, exactly. Now, the, the states vary to this, and this is the state law. So in Alabama, how old can you be? 14 with a juvenile court hearing, 16 direct file for Class A felonies. Alaska, 16. Look at Arkansas, 14. Colorado, 15. Connecticut, 15. Delaware, 14. District of Columbia, 16. Uh, Florida, the juvenile offender must be at least 14. Georgia, 13 to 17 for certain offenses. That means if, huh? I will, we're going to get there. Have I passed it yet? I had not, yeah, uh, California is 16. So, so Florida is, uh, Georgia is 13 to 17. Hawaii, of course, there's a whole sentence there. Idaho, 14. 
Indiana up on waiver of motion 12 to 16. Now, are y'all getting this? That a 12-year-old in Indiana can commit a felony and get tried as an adult. And so we begin to think about this. So when a young person commits a crime, I mean, they're, they're, I mean the, 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 the civil justice system is pretty convinced that they what? They're aware of what they're doing, right? So, so some of this needs to be you know, brought in and thought into this. So spiritually speaking, you know, there, there's not a definite age here because none of these are even systematic in the same. Um, so some states think it's lower, other states make it higher, but it's just an interesting discussion. My home state, Mississippi, I mean, there's no even, no, it's just 13 years old, 13 years. So Micah, yeah. if Micah, if we were still living in Mississippi, if Micah committed some horrible felony, he could be tried as an adult and sentenced to life in prison. Isn't that crazy to think about? Yeah. So anyway, it's, it was just a really kind of, we, we just discussing this, this, this just kind of came together and we started, you know, started thinking about all this. Look at Texas. 14 for capital murder, aggravated controlled substance felony, first degree felony, 15 for second degree, third degree, or state jail felony. So, I mean... Yeah, I, I think, too, something that we, we talked about in this discussion is we want to distinguish. I think one of the major questions when we're talking about the age of accountability is the big question of can children... Will children who don't have the ability yet to really perceive, to understand, uh, will they be able to be saved? Will they be saved? What's, and, and so when we're talking about the age of 20, so let's fast forward that to the age of 20. We're talking about an age, and even way before that, we're talking about an age that can begin to grasp and understand concepts, even salvation through Christ alone, by grace alone, uh, they can already begin to grasp those concepts. And, and I know that well because I've got a six-year-old at home who, who can tell us and articulate the gospel back to us. And, you know, we're, we're praying and you, you join with us and, and pray that that actually seeps down into the heart and, and is actually salvific. That's, that's what we pray for our children. Yeah. But she gets a certain amount of like, okay, I, I, I understand at least up here, Jesus came, he died on the cross, and he did that for our sins. She can articulate that. She understands that. And, and even Hannah is beginning to understand and articulate it four years old. And even before four years old, she was starting to say, Jesus saves us, you know, and so she was, she's already starting to talk about these things as well because we're teaching them that. Um, so first off, let that be an encouragement for, for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, that you can begin teaching them at a very early age. I mean, we started reading the Bible and Bible stories to, you know, the kids when they were even like babies, just because we were like, just even being around the gospel, hearing gospel music will, you know, I, I truly believe will begin to train their hearts in a certain way. And so... That's something we did. But I say all of that for that distinction of are we talking about salvation uh, or are we talking about an age of responsibility? Because mm -hmm. certainly, just like Shelby said and as we were talking about, I think that we get this, uh, this concept of, you know, uh, at, at one point in Jewish culture, a boy became a man when he turned 13. Okay, and so, and then we have these laws where, where, you know, boys were considered responsible by the time they were 20. And so, if we're talking about an age of responsibility, I think, I think that we can have a long, good conversation there. 
and we can agree on different things. But when we're talking about salvation, we definitely want to be very careful with, the, with what we believe, okay? So I'm not even going to say what we talk about, but what we believe, because God really, that's one of those primary doctrines, right? When we talk about salvation, that's a whole nother realm. So, and that's why, again, this question is one of those hard questions, because when we talk about salvation, what, what must one do to be saved? That's a very intense, deep, amazing, beautiful, but very complex conversation at times too. The gospel is simple enough for, uh, for a young child to understand and grasp and receive in faith, and the gospel's complex enough for the greatest scholars of our age to scratch their heads over and to continue to wonder in awe of. So yeah. just wanted to throw that out there as yeah. clarification. And the, other, the other thing too that, that, that spun around a, a good bit last time was the question of the native that is on the island in the South Pacific that has never heard the gospel, does God extend them grace and are they saved if their heart is inclined to him and those types of things? And we said, no, that's not the case at all. I mean, if it is, and God, has, God will orchestrate someone to get to them, and that's, what, that's, kind of, that's kind of concealed beyond our grasp in the predestinarian elective grace of God that none of, that none of us will ever understand this out of heaven. Um, and then we see, we talked about it in Romans 1, where God says, because of what people have perceived in God, they are without excuse. So, so what we are saying is, is, is that when it comes to infants that are in the womb, children that are very, very young, and of course, all children develop at different rates, and then perhaps those that are mentally handicapped and can't grasp moral right and wrong, things of that nature, that's where we are in the age of accountability. Does God extend them grace uh, when they die, when a child dies in the womb, or when, somebody, when a child dies that is not of the age to understand right from wrong, et cetera, et cetera? And we are saying, yes, God does, and yes, they go to heaven. Can we justify that with Scripture? There's one passage, we'll either get to it tonight or next week, that says that. But I want to give you two other uh, heretical thoughts uh, that have come down through the ages that have that have kind of um, go ahead. And again, when we say heretical, we mean because I, I'm, I'm sure most of you get that, but it means false doctrine, like right. what we shouldn't receive. Right. And and I just I want you to um, uh, yeah I want you to get this. These are wrong. I want to be sure the live feed and everybody hears this because it never ceases to amaze me. The people who will be in the crowd or on the live feed and they will hear bits and pieces of what we say and then walk away from it believing that I said something as fact, which I was trying to use as a negative example. This is a, this is, this view, we do not believe the view that I'm about to read to you, okay? We do not believe this as Christians and as Baptists. We don't believe this. But we okay? read it and right. we, we give it out to you guys so that when you interact with it in the world, you'll be prepared to respond to it. Correct. So this is one of the views that would push against what we're saying. This is one of the views that would say the native on the island does not necessarily have to hear the gospel, does not necessarily have to be saved by Jesus Christ because of X, Y, Z. This is called, there's two, there's two systems or two beliefs that I want you to kind of get your mind around. And we're not gonna, we don't have time to discuss them intimately. If you wanna talk about it after this, we can, because we gotta move on. But I just want you to have these because we kind of touched on them last time. The first one is religious inclusiveness, okay? Carl, this is Carl Rayner, he was a, a theologian, as you can see the dates. Carl maintains that Christianity is the true religion that portrays God's grace as coming in his self-revelation in Jesus Christ. Sounds good so far, right? Sound good? Okay. 
He argues that before Christianity historically introduced the obligation to believe in Christ, there were other lawful religions that admittedly embodied an imperfect knowledge of God and yet contained some supernatural elements of grace. No, that is not true. This grace, says Rainer, was effective for the salvation of many righteous but non-Christian persons who practiced those religions. I need all of you to do a thumbs down for me right now. Not true, okay? That's called religious inclusiveness, and it, but it sound, how does it sound? It sounds great. It sounds great, but it's not true. He considers religions today to be similar to those which preceded the coming of Jesus in that their adherents likewise have no meaningful historical encounter with Christianity. He is confident that these religions too can be lawful because God desiring that all be saved gives people his grace through these religions. Adherents of these religions must be regarded, you've heard me say this term last week, but I used the wrong, the wrong scholar. The scholar was Carl Rayner, not, Carl Rayner, not John Hick. Anonymous Christians until the gospel brings them to an explicit knowledge of God's self-revelation in Jesus. So just a, just a real easy explanation of this, if we had a whiteboard, to just say it this way, that, that what he is saying, and so you'll hear people say things like this, they'll say that, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the, the only way. Even, they may even say that. Jesus is the only way. He's, he's, the, he's the truth. I, I agree with you, sister, brother. But here's the thing that they believe, though, if they're, if they're following uh, Rainer here. What they believe is that, that Christianity is the truth, but the sincere Buddhist yeah. who pursues uh, Buddhism and pursues Buddha with all of his heart and sincerity and, and, and has a deep love for his God and that kind of thing, that, that he will be admitted into heaven, the, the, into the true reality of following Christ because he followed adamantly, so adamantly Buddha. So, so you see how that can be really confusing when you're having a conversation with someone, and we have to come back to that clarifying note of, have you trusted in Jesus Christ literally like for, for your salvation have you believed upon the, the one source of salvation Jesus right and so that 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 has to be a clarifying question that we right. ask so, so, th so this would have been one of those that that Carl would have applied to the native living on the on the on the island in the South Pacific he would have said oh yeah he saved because he was sincere about what he believed no there is but one way to God and that is through Jesus Christ Brandon? So that's pretty much pluralism, all roads lead that's to That's exactly what we're going to next. Into, okay, never mind. We're going to pluralism So next. that's like that's like a subsect of pluralism. It's, right. it's inclusivism. All right, now, what Brandon is talking about is pluralism, and just, just to sum it up, uh, and I, I hate to, to say this, but the Methodist Church back 10 years ago started this, this um, yep. open minds, open door. Do y'all remember open minds, open doors? It was like three opens. And, and what they're basically saying is, yes, we believe in Jesus Christ, but we also believe that there are many pathways to the same God. Folks, that's not true, okay? And, and I'm not trying to, I'm not just throwing that out there trying to be ugly to Methodists, okay? But most of our mainline denominations are, are gone in their exclusivity in the gospel. Now, you, you may know somebody that goes to a church that, that, that's a mainline denomination, and for whatever reason, by God's grace, that pastor, that church has still got it right. But by and large, most of them, they're, they're off the grid. They're off the grid. And if you don't believe me, spend some time Googling around 
and, and see what they believe. Read their charters and you will see that they, are no longer, that they no longer believe in the exclusivity of the gospel, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. All right, John Hick. <clears throat> John believed that the various world faiths embody different views of ultimate reality and thus provide different ways to attain what is called salvation in some religions and liberation or enlightenment or fulfillment in others. To those who object, insisting that Christianity is unique because it was founded by God incarnate in Jesus, Hick replies that God can act through many individuals who are open to God. For Hick then, Jesus was not uniquely divine, but was merely what? One of many. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, if you want to get mad and storm off, you know, get mad at Jesus and storm away from him because he is the one that taught that. Not me, not Colton, not Clayton, but Jesus. Jesus was the one that taught that. So if you got a problem, take it up with him and you will lose just like the rest of us have whenever we challenge him over something, okay? Keep me going. For Hick then, Jesus was not uniquely divine, but merely one of many such persons, all right? To those who point out that the different religions provide an incompatible description of reality, he responds that each tradition believes that reality exceeds our creaturely understanding. So in other words, this is just beyond your ability to grasp. You just, you just can't grasp this. But this is the truth, because not, not all these people can be wrong. Hick explains that each person experiences reality as it appears to him in his unique cultural situation. In other words, everything is existential. The truth is what? This is what we deal with today is, ca is called the theory, not theory of relativity, it's uh, subjectivity. Everything is subject subjective to me. It's my truth. Whatever my relative truth is, is what I believe. There is no such thing as objective truth. Everything is subjective to me. That's not that's not Logan back there. That's not Logan. That's a guy named Randy that I picked up off the street. Now, is that true? No. I can prove to you it's not true because he's going to be at home tonight sleeping in my bed eating my food. I know for a fact it's true, okay? So, so, so this sounds mean, and that, 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 that's, that's, that's the difficult part of this. It sounds mean, and it sounds exclusive. But again, we did not make this up. Who brought this message? Jesus Christ brought this message. Jesus brought this message. Okay, let me finish the, the thing. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to simply say, uh, you know, when you come across this in the world, uh, all you really have to do is say, so you're telling me that a Muslim and a Christian, we're, we're going to have, we're, we're both going to have salvation because we, you know, we believe we're, you know, it's all kind of good anyway. And it's like, well, what are the main tenets of Christianity? And you can just ask them, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be rude about it or snarky. Just say, what are the main you know, tenets of Christianity? And what are the main tenets of, you know, uh, Islam? And you'll find out really quickly as they begin describing that all of the inconsistencies that are incompatible, completely incompatible to the point where it, it begins to disprove what they're saying. It's like, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it doesn't marry and, and it'll begin to kind of show the inconsistencies. I think Luke's got something over there. Um, unless I'm greatly mistaken, the Muslims actually do believe that. Um, they have multiple levels of heaven uh, and Jews and Christians both are actually a lesser salvation, but still saved. I have no idea about it. I don't know anything about 
their eternal beliefs as far as that's concerned. I don't, I don't know about that, but certainly when you say, when you talk about Jesus being a prophet versus him being the Messiah, this is going to be something immediately that's going to be pointed out as a, as a stark contrast right. and difference. Well, I mean, Jesus so. died. I mean, Muhammad didn't die for our sins. Jesus died. He was incarnate. I mean, there, there are several differences there, but I, but I, I, don't, know about, I don't know about that, Luke. That would be real interesting to read on for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Something that, so a statistic I heard today that's real disturbing. They took a survey on this exact question at, the, at, the, at Arizona Christian University, which trains a lot of pastors. Mm-hmm. And 40% of them said that the reality is not in Jesus Christ, but it's in whatever you think it is. Right. That's scary. Right. That's subjective. That's the that's subjectivity. Subject, yeah. that, that's, that's really yeah, scary. It, it is. And, and I mean, again, that, that's, that's why, one of the many reasons why, you know, Jesus told us to be prepared to be hated. I mean, when you, when we sit here week after week and we say that we're right and everybody else is wrong, and that a large portion of the world is going to go to hell, even though they're sincere about what they believe. I mean, that, do you know how offensive that is? I mean, that is, that, I mean, and just get the, be sure you get this. That's what got Jesus where? On the cross. And, and the cool thing about it is Jesus always said what he said, not to say something profound and for the shock factor. Why? He said what he said because what? It was, it was the truth, and yeah. he knew it, and he loved these people enough to tell them the truth. It's like, it's like that moment with your children when you're really struggling, you know, and it's like, oh, I want to compromise right here because I just, I, I love them so much, and I don't want to, but it's not going to help them grow. It's not going to help them to see right from wrong, and so you, you decide to go in and to push your hand in a little further with the, maybe the discipline that needs to be there, or you're telling them something that, that they don't want to hear, and you're doing it because what? Because you love them. Right. It's, it's, it might be hard in the moment, and I know I've been there multiple times where it's like, Gosh, I told them they'd get a spanking if they did that again, and here I am. I, I don't want to give them a spanking, but I'm like, I, I should, you know, because they, they broke it this third time when I said, you know, you do it again. And so, so in the same way, but a much grander way, Jesus wasn't doing it for the shock factor, uh, you know, or, you know, just to get a wow or to get big crowds, right? He definitely wasn't doing that. You know, Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you know, and they were like, this is hard, Jesus, and a lot of them left. Right, but he was telling them the truth to liberate their souls and to set them free. Right, and so that's why we do what we do. We plead, you know. We don't we don't bash. You know? <laughs> that's, not, that's not the point. We plead with people. Come to the gospel. Come to the truth. Come to the living water. You know, you 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 think that there's multiple ways to be saved, and, and I'm telling you, brother or sister, there's one, and he came and he died on the cross and he rose again, and I, that's why we do what we do. Yeah, just, and also just know that we take no pleasure in that. I mean, even the Bible says that God takes no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked. I mean, it's not something that we, you know, throw a party over. It's not something that we rejoice in. Amen? I, I, mean, I mean, we just don't. I mean, I mean, we rejoice in Jesus being the only way because he bought that with his life. But we don't rejoice in the fact that others that do not accept him are dying and going to hell. Yeah, I mean, there, there are times, I, I think most deeply, I feel like in the car, you know, when I'm driving, and maybe that's a scary thing, you know, but usually my eyes are right there on the road, but I'm thinking deeply. And, uh, and you know, sometimes the urgency of the truth of hell, the reality of hell, it just strikes me. And it, and it shakes me to my core. I, it really does. I mean, I think about, if you just think about for eternity, and, and I, try to, I try to paint this very vividly, 
so that, you know, and this may not be how I launch in with an evangelism encounter, by the way, you know, <laughs> maybe don't start with hell, but, but certainly it's something that we need to talk about. And I, you know, and I just, in my own mind, my own heart, I think about, and it's a great motivator to push me to people because I'm like, man, if this, you think about it, Colton, if this person doesn't hear the gospel ever again, and you're the only option, you're the only choice to ever share the gospel with this person, this is the only chance maybe they'll ever have to, to know the escape from eternal torment. You know, Jesus describes it, gnashing of teeth, bitterness, weeping. I mean, you think about the lowest moment of despair in your life mm-hmm. and multiply that by 10,000 and for eternity and man, and even beyond that. And I'm just, it, it rattles my soul. Uh, and, and, and not in the fear of going there, obviously. I, I know I've been set free in Christ, but in the fear of others going there. And it just, it, you know, makes you want to weep. It's, it's, it's a good, again, for Christians, it's a good motivator to help us to proclaim the truth. Yeah. So anyway, the exclusivity of the gospel, we just want to be sure from the, from the, this, the little spin around we did last week, we want to be completely and totally clear on that issue. And, and we as a gospel church, I mean, if we claim the word of God, we claim Jesus Christ, we have to claim what he taught or we can't hold that title. And so it's as, as ugly as it is and as discriminatory as it sounds, Jesus brought that message. We didn't. But everybody is invited to come to Christ. Everybody. Amen? Everybody. All right. Back to you, yeah. Colton. All right. The case so of Cornelius. The case of Cornelius. We brought this up just a little bit last uh, week. And so I wanted to hit on this real, real quickly, as quickly as we can. Uh, it's, yeah, it's actually pretty deep, but again, we'll try to just hit it uh, quickly. But it is, it's there in Acts, Acts chapter 10. And uh, it'd be good for you just to flip there, uh, just so that you can see it as well. I know I've got it all up on the screen, but again, you know, I just, I love us being in our Bibles and being able to see it with our our own eyes in our Bibles. Um, but, but here it is. The account of Cornelius uh, lead many to believe uh, that with uh, similar devout sincerity and good deeds, God will accept them without ever hearing and confessing faith in the gospel message. And so what I'm saying there is a lot of people, when they read the story of Cornelius, they believe that there's evidence here that you don't actually have to hear the gospel, and, and if you are devout and sincere and, and full of good deeds, it's kind of like that inclusivism that shall be presented that, that you'll be folded in and grafted in because of your sincerity and your devoutness. That's what some people read into this text, okay? And we're gonna, we're gonna w- wade through that a little bit to say that's, that's absolutely not true, and scripture you know, disproves that uh, almost right away in the next chapter. So it does actually in the next chapter. But so Acts uh, 10, 2 here states that uh, Cornelius was a devout man, gave alms generously and prayed continually to God. It is important to note at this point, he has not heard the gospel message. So, it, you know, it does say God there in, in, my, in, in the Bible that I read, it's capital G. So maybe from some of the Jews uh, around, he had heard about Yahweh. And yeah, so the- he's... I'm, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Does everybody know who Cornelius was? He was a, a Roman centurion. Uh, so that in itself is kind of freaky because who was the who were who were who surrounded Jesus uh, on the cross? Roman soldiers. It may it may have been. So so here's Cornelius. Um, so you but you have two what you have two Pentecosts. What you have the Pentecost that happened during Pentecost, 
or what you traditionally you've heard them referred to as Pentecost. And then you have the Gentile Pentecost. Who's ever heard that term used before? The Gentile Pentecost. Y'all have never heard that term used before. Okay. Well, Acts chapter 10. What I hadn't heard it until seminary. So. Right, seminary, right. Well, this is, so you had, remember, just think of it like this. And this was so profitable for me when I was in school when my professor described like this. In Acts 1.8, you have the power to witness to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, right? Okay, and that's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So the gospel, when it started out, what was it primarily racially speaking? Jewish, okay? But it was supposed to not just stay Jewish, but it started Jewish. Then it went to Judea, then Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So the first Pentecost that happened at Pentecost or during the festival of Pentecost, where did it happen? Jerusalem, which, which implies that it happened primarily to what race? Jews. Okay, then it went outside Jerusalem, and this is Acts chapter 10, and it has 20, how many chapters does Acts have in it? I forget, 23, 24. Okay, so about halfway through the book of Acts, a little less than halfway through, here we have the Gentile Pentecost. So it is showing the gospel moving beyond the racial barriers from Jewish all the way out to Gentile, going from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Back to you. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and the reason that we're hitting on Cornelius, by the way, and the reason he got brought into last week's conversation is because uh, Cornelius can be a case sometimes. People will try, again, to use this as a case to say that there is an example of someone not hearing the gospel and being saved. Right. They'll try to bridge that gap. And so therefore they can, they can now bridge that to, so there is maybe possibly the reality that, that babies without hearing the gospel can be saved. Okay. They make that argument. So we're simply just going here to, to show you this and to say that that's not right, at least in the sense of Cornelius, uh, his case. So upon visiting Cornelius's home, Peter states um, in 1035 uh -huh. uh, that, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Okay. And really we're going to hone in and center on that word acceptable. What does that word acceptable mean? Because that's really where people, some scholars hone in on that word and say, oh, acceptable. Peter's saying, even before Cornelius heard the gospel, Peter's coming and the first thing he says is that he's acceptable to God. Um, you know, and, and really, I hope you already see that that word acceptable um, is a very loose you know, they're, they're hanging a lot on that loose term of acceptable meaning salvation, you know, in their minds, meaning salvation. So we're already seeing some evidence there. But to continue, uh, do, uh, does Peter's words mean that Cornelius was already saved before he arrived uh, to share the gospel? What does Peter mean by the word acceptable? Uh, while reporting on what had taken place in Cornelius's home, Peter uh, states in Acts 11:14, he will declare to you a message by which, and, and catch that, by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And in fact, let's just go there. Flip over to chapter 11, because what happens here is, so Peter goes to Cornelius's house. He proclaims the gospel. His household gets saved, right? They all receive Christ, and he's leaving People hear a report about it. The Judaizers hear about it. They're angry. And so they're, they're kind of agitating Peter. And so Peter gives an account of what took place. He gives a report for the Jews because they're curious. How is it that we're hearing that you ate with Gentiles and you spent time with Gentiles in their home? And he says, well, look, 
the, the gospel is coming to the Gentiles now, and I have evidence of it. God has shown me, okay? And so he's giving this report, and if you go there to, let's just start in verse 11, and we'll go down a few here. He's giving his report, and we'll, we'll start right here in 11. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to, us, uh, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us, in the man's house, that's Cornelius, by the way, they entered Cornelius' house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which... Okay, and again, catch that. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Okay, so did Cornelius believe before Peter came? By this, no. He, he did not believe in the gospel before Peter came. He said, you will receive uh, the gospel when Peter comes and proclaims it to you. Okay. Again, uh, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You will be so saved. So when he comes, when, when so, Cornelius, temporal. When Peter gets to the house and preaches the gospel, and he hears and he believes. Yeah. I, I've always thought that what he meant by acceptable was was that the, the the understanding throughout all the centuries was that God would never accept Gentiles, but now in the gospel, God will accept Gentiles by faith. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, that's an interesting point too. We don't have enough time to. We don't. Gosh, that's the hard thing with this. We can go into so many avenues, but let, let's stick with it. But that's uh, that's also a really good point. Yep. Um, okay, so point two there. Peter notes that it was not until he proclaimed the message to them that the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and that's eleven fifteen. So that's just right there, the next verse there. Which again, the Holy Spirit entering us is evidence of what. Salvation. The down payment, yep. right? The guarantee. The salvation. sealing of the Spirit. That's right. That's right. And so it had not happened until he proclaimed the message. Uh, at the end of Peter's sermon, he claims, to him, uh, to him all the prophets bear witness, and he's talking about Jesus. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him mm -hmm. receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Mm -hmm. So again, Peter's making this point that it's not until we actually believe the message that's been heard that we receive salvation. And then last year, um, there's a note in Acts 11:18. when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified. Now, this is, by the way, more context. Um, this is the Jews who asked for a report from Peter. And so now they're responding to Peter after hearing Peter's report about what happened. So these are the Jews responding to Peter. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay, so this is a repentance, meaning this is a willful acknowledgement of your sin, receiving Christ in faith. Again, this is a perceived willful acknowledgement of your sin and turning, actively turning toward Christ in faith. Okay, so, uh, which again implies that you have to hear it uh, to believe it. So Cornelius was not uh, saved before Peter came and proclaimed the message. Um, okay, and so just this last slide here, and I love this statement from John Piper in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, which is one of my very favorite books. So what did Paul mean by the word acceptable in verse 35? My suggestion, this is Piper talking, this, uh, my suggestion is that Cornelius represents a kind of unsaved person 
among an unreached people group who is seeking God in an extraordinary way. Peter is saying that God accepts this search as genuine, hence acceptable in verse 35, and works wonders to bring that person the gospel of Jesus Christ the way he did through the visions of both Peter and um, uh, on top uh, on top of the house uh, the housetop mm-hmm. and Cornelius um, in the hour of prayer. Yeah, I mean that, okay? that's, that's so I think that's sound. Yeah. So again, what he's yeah. saying is is this intense, extraordinary pursuit of God, and, and yet yeah, what what does he not say? He doesn't say that's what earns him salvation. What he says is this intense, extraordinary pursuit of God. God aligns and orchestrates things in such a way that he can then hear the good news of the gospel, mm-hmm. which again implies he's got to hear the good news of the gospel and respond before he receives Christ and is saved, okay? Um, and I just noted there for you, you remember Romans 1, 19 through 20, which talks about the invisible attributes of God, which are clearly perceived um, from his creation, okay? So as a means to see yeah, God. Just a quick follow. The, the reason why I said what I said, and, and that, and this just a, I mean, this is just a, an observation just through the years. It's, I mean, I, I didn't like, you know, do an exegetical study or anything. So when you look at the the vision that kind of started this whole thing with Peter, if you look there, because you remember what was one of the primary things that the Jew, the Jews were not supposed to eat certain foods, right? Remember that? Okay. And part of part of the reason why they had isolated themselves, isolated, listen to me talking like a Tennessee person, isolated, more, to be more like Mississippi people, uh, was because if they ate unclean food, what were they intrinsically? Unclean people, because they had to touch it to prepare it, they had to go to the market and buy it and so forth. So when, when, when uh, God gives Peter this vision and this sheet comes down, if you look at verse 10, 11, the heavens open like a Greek sheet comes down, a white sheet, most people see that as the church being let down by its four corners upon the earth, all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds in the air, and there came a voice, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. And Peter says what? No way. No way. I've never eaten anything that's, that's, that is common or unclean. And then, he, then God says, what God has made clean, do not call common. So what, he, what I think he said in that, in sending him to, to, to Cornelius was, was that Cornelius as a Gentile was acceptable to take the gospel to. He was acceptable for a gospel preacher to go to. It was acceptable for him to go to his home. It was acceptable for him to preach the gospel to. And if he hears, he believes. That, that's kind of what I've always interpreted yeah, the, that to be. Uh, but, so, but that interpretation by Piper is not wrong. I mean, the I, only, so Piper, okay, we're not gonna, we can't go too far. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the reason Piper states it this way is because um, later Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Peter states in verse 28, so let's go to verse 28. He says, uh, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And I think what Piper does is he realizes there the distinction that, that uh, Shelby was just talking about. Yeah. Peter is acknowledging that distinction that God made, or that he's not making anymore. Jews, Gentiles, you're all welcome to receive the gospel and to be saved. Well, I think, to come is a, I think this interpretation he does is more of a heavenly understanding, and this is yeah. more of a, a earthly understanding of, yeah. of the two coming together. You should go read Let the Nations Be Glad. It, it'll, uh, it will help with this in ways that... It's good stuff. Very scholarly gentleman. Absolutely. <laughs> we probably can't touch. But, uh, okay, so the Philippian jailer. Uh, Philippian jailer was mentioned last time, too. Acts 16.31. So go um, there if you have your Bible. 16.31. Yeah. 
And by the way, this was a vision, right? Wasn't this a, uh, the Macedonian call? Yeah, this was Acts 16 was a Macedonian call. Just to throw this in there to jab that guy that argued with me online back 10 years ago, if you're listening out there, whoever, whatever your name is, I can't remember. He told me one time, he said, if your vision is of God, there will never be conflict. And I was like, and it just so happened I had just read this and that's why I was like writing on this. And so I put Acts 16 out there. We went back and forth for like 10 times and he just quit dialoguing with me. So I'm like, so take it up with Paul, man, because he was given a vision and God, and, and they almost beat him to death. So you won because he didn't know. respond. I know, he, know. he never okay. told me I won. So <laughs> nobody ever tells me I win, man. Oh, well, it's I just okay. Go to bed Usually they defeated. don't. So yeah. So <laughs> I just go to bed feeling defeated. Well, you know, we're victorious either mm -hmm. way, you know, sometimes. Um, okay, so in Acts 16, 25 through 40, we get the account of Paul and Silas miraculously freed from prison and the jailer's response. Uh, the question that arises uh, at times comes from Paul's answer to the jailer's plea. Sirs, what must I do to be saved, right? So the jailer, you know, cries this out, which it, it's such a beautiful moment, by the way. Mm -hmm. I just love this. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul responds in verse 31, and this is where the questions come in. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household, which some have taken to mean that when the, and I'm not saying anyone here who mentioned it uh, thinks this way, but we want to clarify, some believe that when uh, Paul was saying this, he was saying when, when the uh, jailer believed, his household automatically would kind of have some transference of salvation as well. Um, so the question, does Paul mean that when the jailer believes the gospel, that his whole household is automatically saved, even without hearing the gospel? The answer has to be no, based upon many other passages and the implication of verse 32. Look at verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Okay, they wouldn't have had a reason or an occasion to proclaim the gospel to his whole household if they had already been saved, okay? So they are going and proclaiming to the jailer and his house for them all to be saved. And I think the same application applies from the way we answered last week, that if so the father goes... Generally speaking, so the household so goes, the okay? And so that's generally a really good rule of thumb, and I think it's a beautiful truth that, that generally applies. We don't want to say that is always the truth, but usually, look, when you have the father, uh, you have a really strong chance of winning the children. When you have the mama, oh my, you have a really, really, really strong chance of, of winning your children, okay? And again, that's not a guarantee, but it is a beautiful reality that I think plays out often. Uh, around us. So, questions? Really? Deep thoughts. I, I, I knew it. <laughs> Jack. The, the saving of Cornelius. Yes. Is that what's always in my mind? All the Old Testament prophets that believed in God, mm -hmm. trusted God. Mm -hmm. Cornelius believed in God and trusted God. Mm -hmm. He wasn't aware of Jesus Christ and the gospel. The Old Testament prophets weren't aware of Jesus Christ and the, and the gospel. Mm -hmm. They knew he was coming. Mm -hmm. I believe they knew that. Yeah. But I was always told growing up that the three days that Jesus was in the grave, he spent one of those days in heaven saving the Old Testament saints, giving them the gospel. Whew. 
And I'm just wondering, is this, is this kind of a, a confirmation of that? If, if a Gentile, you know. That, it very that, well may be. I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, that, I've never heard that. I've got so. some stuff. One second. I've got, a, I've got a mic in my hand, so I can't go as fast. <laughs> I'm not as quick draw as I usually am. The only thing I know to tell you about the Old Testament saints is that their belief came the same ways that Abraham's did. Yeah. Their belief came through, came through faith, just, just like it always been through faith. And so they expressed that by faithfulness to the law, but it, but it wasn't the Judaizing uh, heresy. And, and we believe in Jesus, plus you've got to be circumcised, plus we've got to do the festivals, plus we've got to adhere to the law. It's always been about faith, always. So for Cornelius at that time, the new dispensation had come. Jesus had come, he had lived, he had died, he had risen from the grave. At that point, it was about faith in Jesus. No longer faith in the Old Testament, Yahweh, I mean, same God, but, but you follow what I'm saying. Now it's yeah. about his son. And so I think that's why, you, you, that's why I think in that passage about Cornelius, it's so difficult to grapple with and why so many people have thought, man, this sounds like he's, you know, he's close. I mean, if he's not in, he's really, really close. And yes, he was really, really close, but he still had to come to repentance and believe in Jesus, which is why God sent yeah. uh, Peter to his house. Which, which again, and clearly, you know, with Cornelius's case, you know, hopefully those, those scriptures were clarifying to show that they actually did have to hear the gospel to be saved. Um, but, but here's, this is an interesting text in 1 Peter, and you can go there if you want, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verse 10. Um, and just in following a few verses, uh, says this. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he pre uh, predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been uh, announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Mm. And so here's the thing. They, they may have not had the name, right? You know, Jesus. But they believed, they were looking forward to that Messiah Redeemer. They were proclaiming that all throughout their prophecies. And their prophetic ministry was, was rooted in that hope. Okay, in many ways. And so, so we want to, although they did not have maybe the particular name Jesus, I mean, they had the, they had the titles, didn't they? Prince of Peace, right? Uh, you know, they had, they had all of these titles. Uh, they knew that there would be a Redeemer. They knew there was going to be a Messiah. And they, they looked forward in faith, just like Abraham did, right? Abraham believed in faith. And that's why he was considered righteous. And so, again, even though, I think the distinction with Cornelius and with these Jewish prophets, they were dealing directly with Yahweh, and Yahweh was directly giving them visions and directly speaking to them that one day there's going to come one that will deliver you, uh, that will deliver your people. Um, and so the, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, right? And so they were really locked into this belief in this Messiah. Whereas I think, you know, when you think about a Cornelius case, I don't think Messiah was on his radar. Now, again, he may have heard about generally Yahweh, and because you see the capital G when it's talking about he prayed to God, which is probably the most 
you know, the biggest question I have actually out of the text with Cornelius is did he hear about Yahweh and did he actually pray to Yahweh? And even in that sense, he wouldn't be saved yet, but he would be pleading and crying out to the real true God, mm-hmm. which again, that sincerity and that, 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 that cry out to God, I mean, we know that God heard because God was like, man, I'm sending someone who can give you the news, which is encouraging, isn't it? I mean, so. Some well, of, some of my Bible study notes say that Cornelius was probably involved in the synagogue. Yeah. Because he would go to the synagogue. Yeah. And, and he would, you know, he was so he was familiar with the, the, mm-hmm. the Old Testament. Yeah, there, there's, been a, the Old Testament. there's been a lot of speculation well, about, about. He gave alms. You know, he, he was he was a, a Roman uh, soldier, a centurion. So, I mean, he would have known their culture. He would have been around them. He probably had to deal with Jews. He probably, he may, I, I don't know what started that connection. Maybe he liked some of their way of life. And he was like, this is a very, you know, reverent, uh, you know, just seems like that they are very upstanding people. And I want to know more about that. And, you know, so maybe he goes and visits a synagogue one day and he's, I want to go to one of their services. I want to see. And then he's drawn in. What a cool thing. I mean, and again, all these steps that can lead to uh, genuine faith when the gospel message is heard. I, I think it's a beautiful story, actually. I love Cornelius's story. Um, and, and I hope that you do too. It's, it's very encouraging. Um, do we have time to it's begin to launch into Second Samuel? Uh, yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. I was just looking for uh, the, um, there was one passage I was looking for I couldn't find, but, I, but, but translations have, have changed over the past 10 years uh, a, l- a little bit. And so, but uh, also remember the, uh, remember the centurion's ser- servant in Luke 7. Remember when we studied that a few, few months ago? The, the centurion that, that many people believe, or I think the scripture says that this particular centurion, I don't think we have his name, but that he was from the Capernaum area and he had actually contributed his money to building what? The synagogue, remember that? Yeah. And so he actually, when he sent for, for there was a delegation that was, that was bringing Jesus to his house to heal his servant and then he stopped them. He sent the delegation back to, and said, you don't have to come. Let, let, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word. Say the word and let my servant be healed, for I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled and turned to the crowd that followed and said, I tell you, not even in Israel... Have I found such faith? And that was a Roman centurion. So, go ahead. Okay, so 2 Samuel. This is when uh, David had done his worst deed that we all remember, right? He, he, he brought Bathsheba to his home. Uh, she gets pregnant, and now, you know, she is with child. Uh, you know, he comes to find out this child is going to die. He's praying. He's pleading with the Lord. The child dies. And uh, so I guess we probably should just do, I think we have the text in here. So yeah, I'll wait. We have the text already in the slides. Um, so yeah, again, this is the one passage that a lot of people, they come to this as the most solid evidence in scripture yep. that talks about, uh, you know, children, whether they're unborn or whether they're born and they don't have the capacity yet to perceive that they will all go to heaven. 
uh, upon death. And so this is, this is the text that they go to, 2 Samuel 12, 21 through 23. The context of these verses is King David's adultery, and we talked about that with Bathsheba, uh, and the resulting pregnancy. The prophet Nathan uh, was sent by the Lord to inform David that because of his sin, the Lord would take the child in death. David responded to this by grieving and praying for the child, but once the child died, he stopped. When questioned about this action, about his actions, he said that while the child was alive, he fasted and wept, but when the child died, he stopped because he knew uh, that he could not bring the child back, but that he would go to him. But he didn't get that right. Okay, right. and so obviously the implication there is that, you know, David's still alive, the child dies, and he says, when I die, I'll go and I'll see him again. Right. Okay, and so this is... Which would imply heaven. It's, 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 I mean, it's implied. It's not well, there is no world that I would ever believe that we're not going to see David in right. heaven, okay? <laughs> so no one right. would ever right. be able to convince me that David is not in heaven. So, Correct. Um, and that's not because of his standing, but that's because, again, that he looked forward to the second... Wh- where's Tony? He's not in here. Oh, no. <laughs> Second Samuel what? Seven. Seven. That's right. So uh, you want to you shout out the, the passage? Sure, man. Yeah, let me find it here. Is this it right here? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a very good point, David. All the Davids causing all kind of trouble, aren't they? Uh, hey. But when David saw that his servants, David in here too. But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David understood that the child was dead. And David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. Then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. He then went to his own house. And when he asked, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servants said to him, what is this thing that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. So what's the implication there? What should it be? Should be reversed a little bit probably. He said, while the child was alive, was still alive, I fasted and wept for I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Man, that's... That's heavy. <clears throat> that's, that's tough. Yeah. That's why he's David. Yeah. And I'm not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so David said he could go to the child, but uh, could not bring the child back to him. Also, just as, uh, just as important, David seems to be comforted by this knowledge. So really interesting that David at this point... After the child goes on, he, he is comforted, he rises, he eats. Uh, you know, the, the servants are baffled. They're like, I mean, the, the servants are terrified, actually, because <laughs> they think, man, I mean, right now, look at David. When David, when, when we have to go and tell David that the child's dead, man, we might be dead too, because <laughs> he might be, I mean, remember, David was a man of war, right? I mean, this is no slouch we're talking about here. Uh, and so they're nervous, but he was comforted instead by the, by the words. Uh, in other words, David seemed to be saying that he would see his baby son in heaven, though he could not bring him back. Yeah. Uh, according, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I think that's why he mourned so terribly with Absalom. That's a really good. That's a really good point, Jim. Was against God and against yeah. David, 
So he knew that he would not see Absalom, that Absalom was in hell. That's, that's and, really you know, his, uh, that's a good point. His, uh, that's, man, I've Joab never, I've never, to, never thought about that. that he was going to be stoned if he didn't stop mourning so hard. Because you're, you're more concerned about your son than you are the people of Israel. Does everybody know what Jim's talking about? Uh, David had a son named Absalom who, who um, it's a really interesting story. Uh, Absalom had deep bitterness in his heart because his sister was, was raped and, and nothing was done about it. And so he did something about it and he killed his brother and then went off into hiding and then came back and then went down to the city gates and basically smoothed everybody coming into the city and said, hey, my, my, you know, King David won't do anything for you, but Absalom will. And he got all these really fancy horses and got all these military guys and we go run into the streets and gave this big display of power and slowly won the hearts of, uh, of all the Israelites. Then later, he completely rebelled. David fled from the city and this, this long battle ensued between the two and at the very end of it, Absalom had this, this big, beautiful head of hair like I used to have 20 years ago, amen, and, and was riding on horseback or something and got tangled up in a terebinth tree and uh, that's how, I think, was it Joab killed him when he was hung up in this tree <clears throat> and David was just, instead of like being somewhat glad that, that the rebellion was over and that this evil son that had tried to kill his men and, and usurp his crown and all of that had been, had, been, uh, had been neutralized, he went into this, to this grievance that was just like, just overboard, so overboard that all, the, all his troops, everybody were freaked out about it. And that's what Jim's talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, not to kill him. Yeah, exactly. And, so, and they were like, and Joab was like, what, why are you acting like this? This is ridiculous, you know. So, but that's a really, really, really good point that, that the reason why he grieved so hard was the comparison of the two situations. That was good. Yeah, so this will be a good segue into, because we're at seven here, but these two points will be good for yeah, transitioning. Yeah, we got seven o'clock, so let's start here next time. Oh, actually, this is, this is just going to be a good a transition statement? to next you time. Think that's gonna be a, you think that's going to be a, just a statement? Oh, no, no, we're just going to put it out there, and then we're going to say till next okay. time. Okay, all right. So, according to these passages, why is the question of the age of accountability and the uh, destination of infants upon death such a difficult question? Why is there so much debate over the topic, the doctrine of original sin? Right. Okay. And that's where we get into some deep dive, uh, you know, doctrine, and we will hit that next time. You understand time. what he's saying, right, just so you can grapple with this as deeply as we have to. We are, when we are born, we are born into what? Sin, which means we are born condemned. We are born depraved. So that's why this issue of that, the, the age of accountability is so important. Well, so if we're born depraved, so what about children and infants and people that die before, you know, so that's, that's the issue. That, that brings the conundrum for sure. That we'll explore that in so, the next session. So we, got, we, we took you through two whole sessions and then we gave you the dilemma. Is that wrong? Should we give you the dilemma first? I don't know. No, it's like a good little just secret <laughs> gem in there. So yeah. Prayer sheets, did we pass them out? We did pass yeah, them out. Yeah, we did. Okay. We right. did pass them out. Oh, uh, got an, you pull those up and I'll go over this. Okay. Uh, we have calling, uh, who fishes in here? Anybody fish? Jeremiah, do you fish? No? Lynn, I know you fish. There are no fishermen in here. How about fisherwomen? Any fisherwomen in here? Any fishers of Cherish men? Cherish gave it a quick little up, down. All right, well, Lighthouse Christian Camp uh, is having a fishing event on Saturday, September the 10th, 7.30 to 1 p.m. at Ragland Bottom Recreation Area. 
They need 30 volunteers with boat and fishing tackle to take two children and a counselor out for a morning of fishing and fun. Lunch will be provided by all Cumberland Presbyterian Church to volunteer. There's a phone number on here, so if you're interested in this, please come. Maybe take a picture of it with your cell phone or something. All right, I'll briefly grab these. Beverly Carmack, still recovering from back surgery. Um, Bobby Short, how's she doing? On a Walker Sunday, okay. Let's see. Uh, Chuck Dillon did not have to. Did not have to have surgery. Jennifer Miller, y'all saw the the uh, the flock note. Stepfather had a heart attack. You want to give a quick report? Is he okay? Better? Worse? He's stable. Stable. Okay. Okay. Very good. I'm glad to hear that. All right, let's see. Pat Raymer has surgery scheduled for September the 12th at Southern Hills Medical Center. Over okay. to you. All right, we got a few here, um, so I'll just work through this. Um, the family of Joseph Taylor, um, you just be praying for them. I, I, I'm assuming from the note he passed away, uh, and that was two days ago. Uh, I had previously talked with uh, PBC about being the worship leader, um, so please be praying for the family uh, in their loss. Okay. 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 Got it. Got it. Yeah, I remember. That was so quick. Sometimes I, you know, blipped. Okay. I do remember now. I, I recall the name. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So be praying for his family uh, in the in their loss. Um, Chuck Dillon's test came back uh, with no blockages. Uh, so that's a praise. Pray for relief uh, of his back pain. Okay. So please be praying for. Uh, Chuck and the Dillons in that. Uh, also, uh, be praying for Lillian Hill. We've got Lillian Hill on here. Uh, she's still having pain in her leg. Um, and then also just still having some memory issues. Uh, so please be praying for her. Um, and, and be praying for Joel as well. Uh, I know he needs prayer. Is she home? Was what David said. Walter, she's home. Okay, she's home. Um, good question. Obviously, please keep praying for John Denton. Uh, you guys, I think most of you know that well. He lost his daughter. Uh, she was 40 years old. Uh, please, please be praying for her, uh, for him. That's Chrissy that uh, passed away. Um, we are continuing to pray for Diane Stern. Um, that's Linda's sister, uh, still very sick. Okay, so please, please, please keep praying uh, for her. Uh, Ed Garner. Uh, he just out. okay. He just stepped out. Okay, I knew he was over there. Uh, kidney stone blasting Monday. Oh my, kidney stones are some of the worst. So please be praying for our uh, dear brother there uh, as well. Okay, this name I don't want to slaughter it. Uh, Gus, Gus Drake. Drake. Okay, mm -hmm. Gus Drake. Okay, I wanted to make sure I had that right. Uh, a friend of Ed and Judy uh, Garner had a stroke. So please, any updates on that, or just don't really know much right now, or. So Judy was saying he came home Monday, if you, if you couldn't hear. 
Okay. Okay. All right. Please be praying for, for him and family, uh, the Drake family. Um, and then we have Richard Thomas uh, a family and uh, loss of uh, daughter um, and uh, his sister this this week. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Uh, lots of heavy news, guys. Let's keep a lot of prayer and uh, remember these names. Yeah. Got a friend of mine, too, uh, Vic. Just remember Vic. He uh, went through a divorce recently. A good friend of mine from my hometown and uh, been married about as long as Angie and I have, and uh, they've been having trouble for about five years. And uh, they finally... They finally signed the papers a couple weeks ago. So it's just two, two, two children involved. Um, just uh, He was in my wedding, and I couldn't be in his because we were in Hawaii when they got married. But um, he's just been a real good friend for a long time, and it's just a really, really difficult situation. Wasn't friendly and all that. So hit home hard for me this past week. So just please remember him. All right. I'll just pray these. Can you pray those? Be all right. Yeah. Okay. Fun, all right. Yeah. Pray with us. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. and. Thank you for the diligence of uh, my brother here and uh, each week and helping to get this thing kept uh, together for us and good discussion um, in trying to sharpen us theologically so we can be better servants for you, uh, better knowledge um, to where we can go out into this um, depraved culture and help take every thought captive for, for Christ, for you, Lord. And Lord, we have, you've heard the request. We, we, we mention them to you tonight verbally because you've asked us to do that as your children. And so we bring them to you. We pray for the, for the family of Joseph Taylor that died. Um, we just pray that you, would, that you would be with them. He was uh, previously uh, interviewed here to be worship leader. Father, pray for the family and friends of, of him. Lord, we pray, we praise your name that Chuck Dillon's test was, came back with no blockages. That's wonderful. So we pray for relief of his back pain and strength. Um, for his wife as well, uh, Lord, as they, they continue to deal with, with several health issues, dear God, as, as we all do as we get older. Um, Lord, we pray for Lillian as she continues to recover from this uh, devastating stroke she had several weeks ago. Uh, just so, so thankful to you, Lord, for preserving her and leaving her here with us, Lord, and I just pray that you give Joel the strength he needs to care for her and that she would continue to be restored. Um, Father, we, we pray for, uh, for, for Beverly as she continues to uh, recover in Bob's strength as he cares for her and her recovery. Uh, Lord, we, we continue to pray for our brother John Denton and the loss of his, um, loss of his daughter. Oh, Lord, I, I, just, I just pray for grace and mercy for all of them, for the widower that's left behind, uh, for the students. Lord, I, I don't know that I've seen a visitation that large uh, in my life as a minister. The outpouring the community had toward her was incredible. And I just pray that those memories would fill, fill his heart with joy to know that she touched so many lives and uh, just be with him, dear God, and the family. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Colton. Lord, uh, we just come to you with these final prayer requests. And, and again, Lord, we know that there are so many that are probably still out there, God, and uh, we want to acknowledge those as well. But Lord, uh, we, we pray for Diane Stern, God. Uh, she has just ended up on our list week after week after week with, with a little bit of improvement sometimes, but still very sick. And, uh, Lord, I, I can't even imagine for Linda, for Ron, uh, how heavy that weighs on their hearts. Oh God, to see her sister continue to go through just deep pain and anguish and, and Lord, sometimes even being the one that comes alongside and listens and, and, uh, shares their burden, it, it can also be a difficult role to play. And so God, I pray for them, Lord, that you would give them endurance of encouragement and care, uh, Lord for Diane and, and Lord, even more so I pray for Diane, God, would you, would you bring healing to her? Oh God, I plead it. 
God, there is nothing in this world. I, I, I pray in faith, oh God, there's nothing in this world that's beyond or outside of your reach, your control, or your ability to change. And so, God, I just pray right now for Diane, God. I know you see her. God, I believe with all of my heart that you care for her in this very moment. I pray that that would be comfort for Linda and for Ron and for the family. God, I pray that that would be comfort for Diane, that she's not alone, that you are there with her, that you love her. Oh God, and that she would cast her cares upon you, her concerns, her worries that probably come into her mind and her heart constantly. And God, I pray that she would look to you with eyes of faith and hope. God, would you uplift her, encourage her. And, and again, Lord, I plead, I pray to you, Father, would you please heal her? God, it's not beyond your ability, Lord, would you heal her? We pray it in faith right now because, because we know before the fall, sickness and death was not part of this world. And oh God, you are making all things new. That's happening, oh God. And I pray that, that this could be a miraculous, beautiful moment that you would heal her, oh God. I truly believe in faith that you can heal her. Lord, would it be so? Would you heal her, please? God, I pray for Ed uh, Garner, Lord, and, and a blasting of a kidney stone. God, kidney stones, I know by experience, are not fun. And so God, I just pray for Ed that you would give him endurance with just health issues in general, Lord, and, and, and this added on burden. God, I pray that this would go smoothly, the operation would go smoothly, and Lord, he would be well taken care of by the doctors. Would you give uh, just peace to Judy, Lord? Would you give her peace that, mm. that goes beyond this understanding, Lord? She, she, she can only deal with, with what she understands right now and what she sees and what she's hearing, and I pray that you would give her peace that goes beyond that, Lord, that she would rest in you, Christ as truly her only hope. And I pray that for Ed as well, oh God. Uh, I pray for Gus uh, Drake, Lord. Would you be with him? Would you continue to restore him? Uh, I praise you that there is no longer uh, bleeding on the brain. And I pray that recovery would be speedy, Lord, and that he would get back to uh, his former condition, God, I pray. Uh, and then I, I pray for uh, Richard Thomas and the family, oh God, in their extreme loss. God, I just, I plead with you, Lord, would you bring them comfort in a time of great, great trouble, Lord, and that they would look to you as their only hope. We love you, Lord Jesus, and I pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Amen. And right quick, before we dismiss, remember next Wednesday, I believe we have the movie, correct? We have the movie, and does it start at 7? I mean, we'll send out uh, more notices for you. I think it starts at 7. It's 7, but 7 o'clock at the Malco Movie Theater, so we will not be having church here. The sign-up sheet is out there. There's plenty of spots, so just be sure and sign up out there. And I think that's it. So good night, live feed. Sayonara. Love everybody. See you Sunday, Lord willing. Oh, hey, guys, uh, there are some pretty flowers up here, some very beautiful flowers, courtesy of George Lang. Please come up and take some with you. Decorate your home. Make it beautiful. There are gorgeous flowers up here. Just please don't take the plates underneath. So, But you can take one. George is going to take them and dispose of them if you do not take them. Thank you.